guys, welcome back to the Liberty Pole. Um, I'm here with my two co-hosts, Hunter Stevens and Blake Bachelor. And um, tonight we're going to be talking about the uh, all-important issue of nullification within our constitutional system and on a personal level as well. Um, and we believe that nullification was, or in in the view of the founders, is one of the one of the largest issues and and a, a stalwart in in in, in deterring federal uh, consolidation of power. And Jefferson and Madison pinned this beautifully in the Kentucky and Virginia Resolution, which we'll talk about later in this episode. But we feel like a lot of people aren't taught this in history classes and, and they don't read it in mainstream books or uh, political science books. So we wanted to kind of shed some light about about what, what nullification is and, and kind of state what Madison and Jefferson stated and make the argument for nullification. Uh, Blake, do you have any opening thoughts about nullification? Yeah, pretty much like you said, it's one of the bedrock principles of the country, uh, even though it was disputed from the very beginning by certain individuals. But uh, like you pointed out, it's not really something that gets covered in school. They might briefly go over a nullification crisis, but nothing deep as to when, what the founders actually thought about nullification and what it should be used for, anything like that. And if it's gone over in school, it's almost always gone over in, in a negative light and it's tied to states rights which is inherently tied to racism and the antebellum south and slavery and, that, and, right. and that's a huge problem because the south did not practice nullification in principle because nullification is is a check by an individual or, or a group of individual states who say this federal action is unconstitutional and if, if the federal courts who back that federal action won't declare that action unconstitutional, we as a state who signed this contract with the federal government to enter into a union of states have a right to A, leave the union, or B, to, to, nullify, to nullify the federal action and, and either make a state law to deter it or, or ignore it entirely. And, and the South didn't do that when they seceded, as you know, Blake, because there was provisions in the Constitution for slavery. Right, yeah. So uh, yeah. The, the argument on its face that nullification is tied to some sort of racist innuendos is, is ridiculous. And as a matter of fact, the first states, or some of the first states to really try to use nullification or secession were northern states who were unhappy about Jefferson's trade embargo. And a lot of right. obviously, you're not going to learn that in history class either. So, <laughs> this is kind and of later. the reason why we wanted to do this episode because because you're going to have uh, maybe your your eighth grade uh, low minimum security prison warden didn't teach you this in history class. So <laughs> so we're going to have to tell you this on the podcast and, and and get these ideas out that that there is a way to deter federal action if you don't like it, and, and that way is. It's been stated eloquently by two of the greatest founders of, of our country, men who are celebrated by both the left and the right. Um, do you have any opening thoughts, Rock? I'm sure after last week, I, I would expect you to disagree with my notification. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I agree it's a good thing. I just think now, if anything happened, it would kind of be looked down upon and it would be used as a club to batter the other side. Uh, with and basically say that it's a political means but, oh yeah i mean i oh. think i think it's super important to have basically as a checks and balance yeah yeah so yeah actually what you just said is kind of important 
So when nullification, when, when the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions were written, the nullification was de facto a political move because the Federalists were attacking the Jeffersonian Republicans. And, and even in, in the Alien and Sedition Acts, which is what, what these nullification bills were passed for, um, it had provisions that people couldn't criticize John Adams during wartime, the, the sitting president. They couldn't criticize the Congress, who were heavily Federalists at that time, and but they but there was no provision that they couldn't criticize the Vice President, who was Thomas Jefferson, because I, as you two know, and some of our listeners probably know, um, back in the early days of the American American political system, the the President was the who won the general election, and second in the general election was the Vice President. So you had Thomas Jefferson, who was a Republican, and John Adams, who was a Federalist. So Adams was quite literally making a bill that was partisan. So therefore, Jefferson and Madison responded with their states, Virginia and Kentucky. Or Kentucky adopted Jefferson's document, but these two states responded in yeah, what Rock said, a, a partisan manner. But there was no other there was no other deterrence to this federal action. They were they were throwing people in jail for publicly criticizing public officials during quote-unquote wartime and our quasi-war with France that had, what, like three naval battles? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah I, I actually think what you just said is important, and I would, I, w- I would caution the use of nullification by states for partisan issues, but it is there for a reason. And, and Blake, you probably have something to add on this, but you cannot trust the federal courts to, to deter the federal government who, who, who is moving in a certain direction and you say the federal courts who are appointed by this federal government will stop them and declare this unconstitutional and, and shift the powers back to the state. That's it's ridiculous. They had no incentive to do that. We've seen time and time again our erosion of federal rights on or our erosion of states' rights, individual rights at, at the federal level, level on um, landmark Supreme Court cases and then those just become precedent and, and we lose those rights overnight because nine people decided that that it's that they they get to make that decision for 360 million people right from the very beginning Je- jefferson was wary of the power of the uh, supreme court like you just said he knew there wasn't any way for a supreme court that's a within the body of the federal government to be a fair third-party arbiter between the federal government and the states so that's why he put forth that state nullification should have been the uh the right option because the Supreme Court couldn't be trusted to rule fairly on anything. Of course, and 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 why would why would you expect that? And for and for our Republican or conservative friends who would say, and their usual response is, "We'll we'll settle this in the court." What has the court settled for you in the last sixty years? I did, I, I really I want to know the answer to that, and it's nothing. It's all of nothing. The court has eroded our rights left and right. The federal government moves on as the, the largest government in the history of the world. And, and we, have this, we have this illusion that we're some sort of democratic republic who still retains individual freedoms and, and economic freedoms, yet we have the largest federal government in the world. And, and the conservative answer to that and the conservative answer to unconstitutional practices by the federal government is to let nine people decide on 360 million people's behalf that's absolutely ridiculous thomas jefferson james madison saw this they they stated it and now we're we're trying to restate this in the modern times and maybe tie it into our daily lives and what we're seeing with the biden administration who's clearly going off the rails right now 
Yeah, I, I, I'd say, well, like we said, the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions usually don't get covered in uh, school. If they do, they get glanced over. But anybody that gets the chance to read through them, it's well worth the read. Certainly Jefferson's at least second most important document after the Declaration of Independence, I'd say. Actually, but I'd, I guess, I'd, I'd, I'd maybe argue that it, this principle might be his most important. I'd buy it, yeah. That, that's a valid debate. But either way, just to give some backstory, the reason he had to write the Kentucky Resolutions is, like you said, he was the sitting vice president. So it couldn't. It wasn't like he could come right out and be criticizing John Adams as his sitting president. So he wrote the, right, under the very acts he was speaking out against. Which is why John C. Breckinridge in Kentucky ended up having to adopt it himself with uh, Jefferson as the ghostwriter. Yeah, but uh, later... Jefferson admitted to writing it, and I think a lot of people didn't know that it was Jefferson. Well, sure. But, but uh, you know, at that time, I was reading something the other day that Jefferson wouldn't didn't even trust sending correspondence to James Madison and Patrick Henry and Randolph and other uh, Republican cohorts and, and peers because he felt like his his mail was being tampered with by the Federalist regime, and and yeah. and that's that goes to show that. The federal courts were packed with Federalists. The Congress was packed with Federalists. John Adams was the president, who was an ardent Federalist. And 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 there and and people and people say another recourse is is to vote them out. Well, people were being imprisoned for speaking out against public officials ten years after the Constitution of the United States was written, and the First Amendment was clearly stated in that Constitution. And 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 that's kind of it. Just illuminates the point that. You, you can't trust the, the, the voting system when, when people are being imprisoned and their rights are being trampled on. The, the only necessary recourse from there is to say, we entered into this contract. This contract is not being abided by. Therefore, A, we leave this contract, or B, we will not abide by the rules you're setting forth that were not specified in this contract when we signed it, and the contract obviously being the Constitution of the United States. Right. <clears throat> you got anything You got anything on that, Rock? You've been a been quiet. I think we've yeah, been talking. I know. I, I, no, I've been listening. Um, it's all been good. Yeah. I, to my point earlier, I think I think it's extremely important, especially now with uh, the state that we're in, with some states closing borders and then some requiring passports and you know, like uh, vaccine passports and stuff like that. And there's been some hints of stuff like that coming from Florida about basically the government trying to lock down people from going to Florida. It, it's loosened up a little bit, but you saw it during COVID where the, basically the federal government was trying to put lockdowns on Florida because they thought Florida was uh, opening up a little bit too fast. And I, I thought we were going to see something coming there where uh, DeSantis was going to try to do something, but I mean, it didn't escalate to that point. So. I, I think actually DeSantis would would be in favor of nullification. I think he is one of the few oh, yeah. that, that maybe would consider something like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, it, and I actually want to talk about this and see what, see what you guys think. Uh, I just wanted to pose the question and for our listeners to, to consider, Mole, what, what is a constitution? Like, can you give me an answer on that, Blake? Just like, what, what, what is a constitution? What is, what is, what does that mean? How does that apply? How does that apply to the people who signed it? Like, you got it. I don't know. What's your answer to that? Well, 
historically there's been two different views on the Constitution and the country as a whole. One, which I believe is the compact theory, which is a group of sovereign states came together to form a very limited federal government for uh, practical means. And the other is the nationalist theory of the Constitution and the country, meaning that the states gave up all sovereignty when they entered into the, the new Constitution, um, which isn't which isn't backed up by any historical facts from the very Constitution itself, naming the states. You know, in plural ways, it never says the United States, it's the, or, or how should I say it? The, they use the states plurally, it's not a cohesive government. The United States are yeah. right, are, to visit. That's instead how they would have said it, the first 100 right. years of our country's founding. Correct. But uh, right. I, maybe more at a, at a meta level is kind of how I was asking. Maybe I'll, I'll rephrase the question. So we're going to say that constitution, in this case, is synonymous with contract. What is a contract? I'll, I'll pose that question to you. Because I, I understand what you're saying. And what you're mm -hmm. saying is correct. I think you were you misunderstand where I was going with that kind of like what yeah. what in your words what is a contract? Just a general contract between two consenting people. Well, a contract would be some set of agreements between two uh, willful participants. Uh, I guess at its most basic function. Yeah. So yeah. so any contract that that one party can change the rules of said contract to quote unquote adapt to the times. Right. And, and the other and the other party has no recourse for that. They can't leave the contract. They can't change the rules of the contract. They just have to abide by that contract, or, or there's forceful action that will come against them. That that is that's no contract at all. You know, we're using contracts synonymous with the Constitution. So so the living the living and breathing theory of the Constitution is ridiculous because the Constitution is there to limit federal government and specify powers that the federal federal government have. And shift their, all powers that the federal government hasn't had specified to them to the states. There's no other reason for a constitution in general. It is not a living, breathing document by essence of what it is. If a contract's just a living, breathing document and it can adapt to the times, then and one party can, is the only one that can adapt, and that same party has a has a has a group of friends that decide whether whether when they adapt to the times, whether that is, that falls within the contract. And if you try to leave that, they can they can. They can, there will be violent recourse to your actions of leaving peacefully. That, that that's no contract at all. It, it, honestly, it sounds yeah. like it sound, sounds like slavery. It sounds like yeah, a exactly. Servitude. That's I don't all I was know, about to say. But, but you know, any contract that's broken and and between two consenting parties, obviously the party that's been wrong can leave that contract. Whether whether it's decided if it's wronged or not by a body of governors looking at the contract and deciding what it initially said in the spirit of what it said when it was written, the person, the two people who consented in entering that contract, one can leave when they want to, by essence of a contract. So I, I just don't, I, maybe, maybe you can, maybe you can still man the living and breathing argument better than me, Blake, because my brain honestly doesn't even work that way. But that, to me, that's what I understand of that argument. And I don't even think that it's coherent. Yeah, I, I, I'd have a hard time, hard time articulating what their thoughts are as far as the con or the Constitution being a living document. But to go to your point, you know, you'll hear some people say that the Constitution it doesn't grant the states the power to nullify laws or to secede or whatever. But that's because nullification and secession are a de facto power for the states, just like any person in a contract would have the de facto power to withdraw from the contract if the other side breaks to the agreement. Correct. And, and uh, also, 
the, the Constitution doesn't grant the states a lot of things. It just it grants the states all powers not specified in the in the uh, in the Constitution. And and actually, I was also reading this that when Virginia was deciding whether to ratify the Constitution after the Articles of Confederation failed, quote unquote. Um, Patrick Henry was leading a group of anti-constitutionalists, and what they told Patrick Henry was, if the federal government in any way goes past what is specified in this constitution that we're here to ratify, it does not apply to Virginia. There's no, there's no application to Virginia. Everybody who, who wrote the constitution, everybody who ratified the constitution was under that general agreement. Not until the Federalists took power did they change their mind about that agreement. Because obviously we saw so early in our American history that the two-party system is, is failed, it's flawed, it's evil, it's violent, and, and one party takes control. They completely change their principles because ultimate power corrupts ultimately, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, and Adams and the Federalists changed their opinions on this, but when everybody ratified this Constitution, they, they were all under the general notion that, yes, you could nullify anything that went outside of the scope of the federal powers dictated in the Constitution. So I, I, I it's, it's very important, and a lot of people don't know about this, and, and we're going to try to keep this episode short, but this is extremely important. And if you aren't 100% sure after you hear us talking about it, I do some research on your own because this is this is this is documents the Virginia and Kentucky resolution and and an idea that's been lost in the Orwellian drain hole of American history in the last 100 years. So I don't know. Do you got anything? I don't know. You, maybe you can straw man the or uh, I'm sorry, still man the um, the the living and breathing document theory rock. I'm not sure if you. Yeah, I mean, I I. From my position, I think it's getting used a lot. You hear it all the time with the fact that uh, I would say Democrats use it to beat people over the head about it with gun control, saying that basically the guns that they were talking about at the times were different, and now it's living and breathing, so you're not able to have an AR-15 because it's not a musket. That's kind of what they use it for now, and they're kind of pushing that same – Basically, anybody who's anti-gun. I mean, you Ronald see it a lot Reagan. from more politicians. Donald Trump. Which, which anti-gun politician uh, are you talking about? Okay, we're, we're, not, we're not here to debate anti-gun politicians. Well, not to, I'm, I'm stating facts. Is it Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump? Both of them. Okay. Both of them are anti-gun. Back to your story. I'm basically saying, yeah, my point is that they, they're using it basically in any way that they see fit basically to uh, dis, disprove their reason behind the wall. Of course they are. As, right? long as, they, as long as they can get out of it by stating a legal reason that makes them sound smart and fool other people, yeah. then people fall, fall for it all the time. Yeah, of course. And, and there's not much fooling to do when, when half of the country will accept what you say by virtue oh, yeah. of hating the other side yeah, so much they, they don't they know. care less. It's not even that they don't know. They do not care. So, so yes, you're right. And, and the only recourse to that, as we've seen, because the federal courts will do nothing for us in the way of gun rights, First Amendment speech, they will not be there to save us. They have allowed our rights to erode, like I've said multiple times in this episode. The only recourse to that is for states and wards and towns and cities and, and families to say, we nullify that. We didn't agree to that. That's not yeah. in the contract. That's against our individual rights. We nullify that. 
And that's why it's such an important document because of what you just highlighted there, that the yeah. quote-unquote Democrats and the two heroes of the conservative movement used their own constitutional theory to beat people over the head with it. And, and I, I, I agree with you on that. And that's yeah, that's that's exactly why it's important. And, and that's what I think the Constitution is important in general because you need something that's a set rules that can't change. And obviously, if it's a living, breathing document, like all the people are saying, then there's no actual laws to abide by. It's all basically opinion. Yeah, it's opinionated document. Awesome job so far. Yeah, I mean, obviously that it has. I mean, I'm just saying that. But if people, uh, if people take it as living and breathing, then it's not an actual legal document. Of course, no. There, there's no recourse because you you can debate it all by opinion, and then then you have no reason to uh, abide by any laws because it's all opinionated. Yeah. So. And, and I don't know, do you have anything else to add about nullification Blake, before we kind of shift gears a little bit? Um, not really. I mean, we could get into a long discussion about the nullification crisis of 1832, but I should probably wait to another episode. <laughs> We're talking about with Calhoun and, and okay. Jackson. Yeah, you know. we yeah we could probably wait to another episode for that because that, that's going to be a tangent, at least for me. Yeah. But... Yeah. Actually, you know what? Yeah, I'm not even going to get into it. That's going to be on a later episode, guys. Uh, I do want to talk about jury nullification. I know, Blake, you have something to add to this, but that is so vastly important in today's day and age. Like, I, I just can't, like, everybody needs to know about jury nullification. If I can, if I could leave one, everybody that listens to this podcast with one lasting thing, it is jury nullification because everybody's going to deal with that. Not everybody might be lawmakers at the state level that listen to this podcast. But a lot of people will be on a jury that listen to this podcast. And, and Blake, I want you to lead off and start talking about jury nullification and how that's important in our daily lives. Sure. Well, jury nullification at its uh, most basic uh, premise is the concept that each individual on a jury has the right and the duty to both judge the evidence in the uh, trial itself and the law itself. So say you're on a jury and there's a there's a charge against a man for whatever law you don't like, you don't think is constitution, you don't like for whatever reason, uh, through jury nullification you have the right and the obligation to vote to acquit the man on the charges, no matter what the evidence is. Correct, and, so. and, and that's extraordinarily important in, in hindering gun rights. And that was a common, that was a common uh, um, thought process for early founders, even before the founding of America, colonial juries and stuff. They yeah, used yeah, jury, yeah. jury nullification for several things. Of course. No, even back in, back in when, when um, what's his name, King John, I think, who established the first quote-unquote constitution of England. Yeah. I can't. I can't remember. Magna Carta. Uh, anyway, there, that was fairly common in England. Is juries would uh, one or two people would nullify and hang up a trial, and yeah. and, and that's been really a stalwart of, of freedom because because that honestly is the best way to to prevent draconian gun control, in my opinion. Because yeah. you're gonna have yeah. one to two people on a jury who who likely aligns with our views, maybe not as radical on gun on gun rights but likely leans right believes in believes in freedom of gun ownership and freedom of protections of your own self and your family 
and and if and if this and that's why the history books, that's why the political science books, that's why our civic classes, that's why our our prison wardens at our minimum security prisons that you go through from five to eighteen, that's why they don't teach you about this, Be, because this is such a powerful tool to stop the federal and state government from prosecuting people on draconian laws, whether it's gun laws, whether it's free speech laws, whether it's literally anything. You can hang up a trial right now, and you can't be prosecuted for it. They can hold, they, they literally, they can't punish you in any way. And, and, and you'll remain, as far as I know, you'll, you'll keep your anonymity, right? Like, yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, should. It's, yeah. So it's such an important tool and, and that's why it's not, it's not taught to people because, because we know that the federal government and state government and the corporate elite control the information and they control the information cycle. And, and like I said, and, and our, our wonderful prison wardens who, who vie for more money every year at the state capitol won't teach us anything. They, they don't teach us anything anyway, and, and especially won't teach us anything to hinder federal power because it's not within their incentive to do so. But jury nullification is a powerful tool. And, and just on, on a moral level, do you, Blake, do you, feel, do you feel like it is morally acceptable to, to you yourself nullify a law that was passed by a majority, maybe not even passed by a bureaucrat, but that was passed by a majority, if it does not conform with the natural law that this country is founded on or the implicit contract, to this, or I'm sorry, the explicit contract that this country was founded on when, when the states joined and ratified? Well, absolutely. The, a majority doesn't make anything right or moral or just or whatever you want to describe it as. Um, it's the only option for people is to vote with their own conscience and their own morality. Or not vote, but I'm sorry, decide. Yeah, don't vote. Voting yeah. Voting's a scam. If voting matters, they won't let you do it. Rock, uh, <laughs> I would pose the same question, like whether you think that it's moral to, to push your individual will against the will of the masses if they voted in this law whether it's constitutional or not, if you feel this violates the natural law of the man being tried, do you think it's moral to hang up a trial and let that man go free? Whether he did something evil, if you feel like that the police overstepped their bounds in gathering that evidence, that's that's another very gray area that I would probably side with Blake on. I'd say, I think this man's rights were violated. I don't think this trial is legitimate. And I'd probably hang that trial, whether I knew that he killed somebody yeah. in cold blood or not, to be honest with you. And and that's a bad thing. But to defend liberty, you have to, you have to defend the people who who are hard to defend, because that's where mm -hmm. liberty, on the fringe, is where liberty starts being eroded. And by the time you realize it's eroding, it's going to be to you. So uh, yeah, what do you like, think? Like what Blake said, I mean, I totally agree. Just because the masses believe something, that doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Um, I was just actually selected for jury duty this past week. Oh, I nice! Ended up not, I ended up not having to serve and make my forty dollars for, or fifty dollars for a full day, full day's work, thankfully. And anyway, so I mean, obviously, whenever you go in, you swear in, and I mean, I think you would have to go by whatever your own beliefs are. I mean, if if you believe that it's a, uh, it's unconstitutional. I mean, that's totally within your right to uh, vote against it, no matter no. what your peers say. And it's peer pressure. Once you, once you say that you have to vote with the majority, it's not actual a fair tri trial. 
if now, you're just going with the flow. I will push back on this just a little bit. I do agree with you and Blake. But the jury system is a very I, – I think a lot of things were gotten wrong in the founding of this country, but I think juries by, by a group of your peers is generally a good idea. And, and you shouldn't just go into this flippantly saying, I'm just going to hang up every trial just because. You should, yeah. have, you should have a good framework for the spirit of the Constitution, when it was written, why it was written, who wrote it, what they said about it. And, and, and you should have read the Constitution and understand and read legal writings about the Constitution for people smarter than you before you go in and flippantly hang trials. Because, because a jury is, it is important. And, and once again, a stalwart to, to freedom. Because I don't, want to be, I don't want to be tried by one person. I want to be tried by a jury of my peers. But I will say that, although I do think it's moral, and I think both of you answered the question correctly, in my opinion, there is a way where you could cross the line and, and taint a jury. Uh, I don't know, Blake. What do you think about that? I mean, I just think that I think that you you should hold jury duty as as a as a legitimate responsibility to take serious because sadly but surely you have another man's life in your hands, whether to throw him in a cage or not. Oh, sure, yeah. I guess you're saying like somebody that's going in determined to hang the jury, even though it's somebody that killed someone in cold blood or whatever. You're, is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Correct. Or even like a contract, like a like a like a civil dispute if that had a jury of their peers. It, you know, I, I just think that you shouldn't just go in there and, and make some ridiculous jump that this is what you think the Constitution says. Like, it should closely align with a lot of founding writers and, and the framework and spirit of the document when it was written. Like, I don't, like I said, don't take this responsibility of jury duty and, and the principle of jury nullification unseriously because it is a very serious you know is a very serious practice and a very serious theory and 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 that's kind of my last thing i gotta say on that i agree with both of y'all that it is a moral practice to to as a matter of fact it's not just moral it's courageous to push back on the majority if you know in your heart and and you know yeah. your soul that that this is not right we're not abiding by this man's natural rights or we're violating this man's natural rights. And I will not throw him in a cage. And that's courageous. But I just, I'm just putting on a little bit of a warning that like, let's, let's not do it flippantly. That's kind yeah. of what I'm saying. Blake. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I, I think we're going to wrap it up. We're going to try to keep this one short, just kind of get to the point about nullification. I think we did. I hope, I hope you guys have a better understanding about it. Like I said, you, I'll say it again. Your prison wardens didn't teach you about this. So, so we're going to do it for you because we've read some books that aren't exactly mainstream. And, and this is a very important document. I, I love the Kentucky Resolution, mainly because I got a man crush on Thomas Jefferson, if you guys haven't noticed. He did some bad stuff as president, but pre-president Thomas Jefferson was the man. And, and I love the Kentucky Resolution. I've read it, obviously, multiple times. Go on the computer, print it out, read it, see what you think. It's a great document. Same with the Virginia Resolution by Madison. Blake, do you have any closing statements before we uh, before we leave the people? I think this was a good episode and kind of enlightening for people maybe who hadn't heard about these theories that we talked about tonight. Yeah, I think we covered a lot of stuff that will be new to a, a lot of people because I know 
like we talked about before, this isn't something people want you to know. The government certainly doesn't want you to know about things like jury nullifications. The prosecutors do all they can to weed out the people that do know about it at jury trials. So just to give everybody a little bit more information before they, they head into things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rock, do you have any clues and statements? Yep. And then we're going to get out of here. Um, yeah, I just kind of want to reiterate what Blake was saying and Cole. I mean, it, it's it's extremely important, and it's a it's a stalwart and it's a protection barrier against our rights getting taken away. And um, I just want everybody to know how serious it is for a state to be able to do that legally, and that it's it's not it's not something to be looked down or looked frowned upon. That it's it's actually a legal um, option. So. Yeah, and whether it's deemed to be legal or not, it's, it's the only recourse you would have to take to an unconstitutional law. Therefore, it's your yeah. recourse to take. You know exactly. what I'm saying? No, yeah, I see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it's your responsibility. Yeah, it's not. It's not something that's off the wall that you're just randomly making up because you feel like it. Yeah, correct. But yeah, I think that'll do it. Um, definitely stay tuned next week. You know, like like the podcast, share it with your friends. We want to get everybody listening. We, we're talking about some important stuff here that maybe you didn't learn in history class or maybe you haven't heard or maybe maybe you just find interesting. It's stuff that we find interesting and we feel is important to the conversation. And and we, we just, you know, however many people want to listen, we're, we're, we're grateful for that. And, and we want to reach out to as many people as we can. You can interact with us on Instagram at the Liberty Pole. We'd love, we'd love to do that and talk to you guys. Um, yeah, so we're going to get on out of here and uh, just leave you, leave you with a simple statement. Just, just fight for your freedom in your personal life because, because the courts aren't going to be there. The legislative body is not going to be there. The president's not going to be there whether you like that president or not. So, you, so you've got to spread this message of liberty. And, 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 and although it feels dark right now and it feels like a time that, that liberty is really being trampled on and, and authoritarianism is in vogue, it, liberty wins in the end. It, it really does because, because it is the enlightened method. And, and the larger a state gets, the more clumsy that state gets. And a and, and, and smaller entity can, can outmaneuver that state. And, and, and that's if you just keep fighting, whether, whether, whether it seems dark uh, right now, liberty, liberty is important. It's a first principle that's worth fighting for. And I just leave you guys with that. Love your neighbor, love yourselves, take care of your families, and always fight for liberty. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>